This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Good morning, Anchor. Great to see you here this morning. My name is Matt and I'm lead pastor here. If I've not met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service. And this morning, we're going to be talking about fashion. What a, what a good topic to talk about. My guess is most of you, as you hear about this topic, you probably think, well, those two words don't necessarily go together, Christian and fashion. They don't, those two, unless, of course, you're talking about Christian and bad fashion, then those two things go together. Now, I know that for a fact because I personally experienced that a number of years ago. When we were looking for a venue for our then church plant to meet in, we searched probably 100 venues across the city in the early days. And one of the venues we scoped out was this amazing warehouse in the back of Alexandria down near Beaconsfield. And it was run by this creative lady. And we rang her up and said, look, we're a church and we're looking to hire a space for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Would you be willing to talk with us? Can we come and look at your space? She said, yeah, sure, come around, check it out. Um, I'll be in the office all the way at the back. Just come up the stairs, walk through the creative section, through the warehouse, and, and I'll meet you there. And so we went to this warehouse and we went up the stairs and through this creative section, really cool, like all these like little creative art studios and then through this amazing creative space and there she was and she came out walking out to us and this is literally what she said word for word and I'm not joking you, she said, oh, you're not Christians, you're hipsters. Now I wasn't quite sure whether to take that as a compliment or, or not. But at least in her head, what she was expecting when Christians were gonna turn up was daggy, right? Was not fashionable, was not on point. And at least I felt I was on point that day anyway. But we have this association in our minds and in our culture that Christians equal bad fashion. Think of all the stereotypes that we're familiar with. Think of Ned Flanders, right? Ned Flanders, pink button-up shirt and a green sweater. I'm not even sure if those two colours go together. Um, Not because I'm colourblind, I just don't know if that's a fashion thing or not green and and pink, Um, or you think of all of the religious clothes that are associated with Christianity, right? You think of the nun's habit, the the long robe with the coif that covers their neck and their cheeks so that you can only just see a small portion of their face, or you think about the Amish community and the the non-tech fashion that comes out of there, or even at the very least, in 2019, Many of the churches in our city still make priests wear dresses. They wear white, long dresses to church. And I'm like, at what point is that a good fashion idea to make him wear a dress to church? And yet all of these stereotypes continue to persist. And our culture, when they think of Christians and fashion, automatically make that cue in their head, bad fashion. I don't know about you, but maybe the church, if you've grown up in church, the type of church that you grew up in had a bit of a Christian uniform. Anyone else have a a uniform that all of the people in your church grew up with? And perhaps that reflected the subculture of your area. And if you grew up on the beaches, maybe everyone just wore board shorts and a billabong t-shirt and that was it. And, And that reflected less church culture and more, you know, surf culture, but my church growing up had this like uniform. I don't know if anyone else experienced this in their church, but it was literally polar fleece everything. Polar fleece jumpers, polar fleece zip up jackets. It was like a uniform supplied by Kathmandu and everyone was like merry bunch of mountaineers ready to go on their hike and 
climb up the mountain, sing Kumbaya together around a fire. I mean, that's the image that it just portrayed, this Christian uniform. And, you know, before the pot starts calling the kettle black, as I look around this room, it is full of people with sneakers and ripped jeans and black T-shirts. And can I just say, James's fashion is on point this morning. <laughs> black on black with sneakers. Joel, where's Joel? His fashion's on point as well. Black on black on black sneakers. I like that one very creative. You know, the other day we're having a conversation with some friends of ours and their kids and our friend's daughter said, mommy, why do adults not wear colours? And I, we were like, it's right. We were all just wearing grey, black and white. It's like, They're so boring, mummy. Why don't adults wear colours? Well, that's because, uh, you know, is it normcore, this type of fashion, just like, just plain colours? That's what we're about at the moment, apparently. If you wanted to be on point, in your fashion in 2019, I've got a couple of tips for you. And if you were expecting to get some fashion advice this morning, but here it is, it's free of charge. You get what you pay for. Uh, for the women here, the, apparently, according to my, did you know I've been researching all this fashion stuff this week? All of a sudden, I've got like Hermes summer collection popping up on my Insta stories advertising. Ladies, if you want to be on point this season, where are my notes here? About, oh yeah, okay, mango yellow. Mango yellow is apparently in. Now, I don't know what mango yellow is. I don't know how it's different from canary yellow or any other version of yellow. All I know is it's not fluoro, and fluoro is kind of in at the moment a little bit. But mango yellow is in for the ladies. So if you, you know, you're picking the colour of your dress, maybe mango yellow is the choice for you. Or um, alphabet jewellery. So, you know, like a big gold A on a gold chain or a gold P around your neck, alphabet jewellery is going to be in in 2019. So I'm expecting to see a few alphabet jewellery items, maybe alphabet earrings even, or bamboo handbags. Apparently that is trending like crazy on Pinterest at the moment. Bamboo handbags, handbags made out of bamboo, that's on point. And uh, apparently also ethical fashion is on point, not because it's good to steward our environment and care for the world's poor and needy, but because Meghan Markle happened to wear a dress made by an ethical brand in LA called Reformation. And now everyone's gone crazy about Reformation and everyone's buying all their stock out. And so apparently 2019 is the year of ethical fashion because Meghan Markle has added some ethical items to her wardrobe. So there you go, ladies, free of charge, some fashion advice for you. Uh, for the fellas in the room, for the guys, if you're interested this year, light wash denim is in, light wash denim. So I bought a pair of stone washed white Levi's in the uh, early 90s and I thought they were so cool because I wore them with high top rigot. Reebok pumps. It was amazing. I should have kept them because it's back and that's the nature of fashion, isn't it? It just goes round and round and round in cycles. But light wash denim is going to be back this year. Sling bags. I didn't know what sling bags were. It's just a bum bag that you wear over one shoulder. It's like take it from the waist, which is not cool, and hang it around your shoulder, which in my opinion is still not cool. So I'm not wearing a sling bag this year. I don't know about you. Feel free to wear a sling bag if you want to do that. It's your choice. Corduroy is going to be in. I don't know if corduroy ever went out. Corduroy is cool in my books. But cord, corduroy jackets particular for the guys, they're going to be in. And uh, plaid pants. Apparently plaid pants are going to be a thing in 2019. Now, I don't know if that's a suit thing or a smart cash thing, but I dare anyone to wear plaid pants. And if you want to wear plaid pants, that's your thing. Feel free to wear plaid pants if you want to. And neck scarves are also going to be in for guys this year. In winter, I'm hoping, because... Um, 
it's not really functional in this Sydney heat at the moment. But the thing that kind of got me the most about 2019's trend is this trend called mismatched prints. Apparently mismatched prints are gonna be in this year. That is like you wear plate and polka dot together. That's checkers and spots together in the one outfit. Apparently that's, that's also gonna be cool. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing Joel and James in mismatched prints later on this year as they get on point. Outside of um, Christian countercultural dagginess, what do we have to offer our world and what do we have to offer in terms of our own thinking when it comes to fashion and when it comes to what we wear? Well, this series we've been walking through in January has been called Everyday because we want to explore the everyday, ordinary, mundane things of our lives and how our faith intersects with those things. Things like food and technology and our use of time and busyness and simplicity and fashion. We've been looking at that verse from uh, 2 Corinthians 10, where Paul says to the church, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Those are everyday decisions, everyday choices about the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, and all of it is to be done for God's glory. As you look at the faith that Israel had, it was an embodied faith. It was a faith where they lived out their beliefs in really practical, tangible ways. To observe the law, to obey the Torah in Jewish culture required everyday decisions about food, about what food you would and wouldn't eat, about how that food would be prepared, about the clothing that you would wear, about whether or not that clothing had interwined fabrics or not, in different types of fabrics woven together, or whether that was a pure garment. Or they were faced with these daily decisions to choose to obey God or not. And yet somehow in the 21st century, in our world of Christianity, we've done this weird sacred secular divide with our time and our purchasing and our clothes. You see, we think that there are spiritual decisions that affect us, like coming to church, and there are secular decisions like the types of clothing that I wear and the purchases that I, that I make. My faith doesn't factor into that. Well, I wanna suggest this morning that it should, and it does that our clothing and the things that we wear, our coverings, have a lot more to say about our faith and our spirituality than we give credit for. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about fashion. And my confession is, I like fashion, I like shopping. I know that sounds weird. I was like, you like shopping? I like shopping, I don't like spending money necessarily, but I do like shopping, I like browsing. I don't like it when I have to go to the shops that Tash likes to go to. We divide and conquer. We're like, all right, you take that child. I'll take this child. You go there. We go here. We'll meet up at this point in half an hour. And that's how we roll. But I like, I like fashion. I like shopping. I like knowing kind of what's happening in the fashion world. And apparently now my Insta stories are now full of more things for me to research. But what do the Scriptures say about clothing? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And we need God's help to do that, to filter our cultural perspective and help us see our world through God's eyes. So I'm going to pray for us as we dive in. So let me pray. God, I thank You that You are a God who is involved. I thank You that You're a God who cares. And I thank You that You're a God who gives us a framework for thinking about even the ordinary, mundane, everyday things of our life. Thank you that you give us a credible story to be a part of. 
And I pray this morning as we sit humbly under your word that you would speak to us. Help us to see that these everyday rhythms and routines are shaping us and molding us, that we have choices to make that affect the poor in this world. God, we pray that you would stir us by your spirit, change us, make us a people that reflects your character and your grace and your justice. We're ready to hear you speak, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, you know, the first time that clothing is mentioned in the Scriptures is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, prior to that point, they have been naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. In, who, I mean, who wants to live in that world? You don't have to put your hand up. That would be weird to say, yes, I would love to live in that world. But prior to Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed. And this moment happens in Genesis three as Adam and Eve willfully disobey God and take of the fruit and eat of it, making themselves God, putting themselves in God's shoes. All of a sudden their eyes are opened and they become aware of their nakedness. They become aware of their nakedness. Now, I don't think that necessarily has anything sexual about it. I think that is a, a symbol or a metaphor for what sin does to us. It exposes us. They are exposed before their God. They come naked and all of a sudden, for the very first time, they are aware of their nakedness and they experience shame. And their first response is to do what? What humanity has been doing since the very beginning to cover our shame, to cover our nakedness. Adam and Eve fashion and sew the very first garments. They take fig leaves and turn them into loincloths. Now, I, my guess is they picked the fig leaves because they were large or at least large enough to be sewn together to cover the parts of their body that they wanted to cover. But be that as it may, it's an insufficient covering and it's about as helpful to them as hiding in the garden. You notice that Adam and Eve hide in the garden, which is kind of odd because God is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present. And so here they are trying to cover their nakedness and their shame in a fig leaf loincloth and hide from God in the garden. And it's entirely inadequate. And so God, in His grace, but also as an act of judgment, decides to fashion for them, to create for them, to design for them a tunic of skin. In Genesis 3.21, it says that God creates a tunic of skin. Now, in order to do that, God would have had to sacrifice an animal, prepare that skin and make the garment as a tunic that would cover sufficiently Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame and guilt and sin. So at the very basic level, we have been doing the same thing up until this day, we clothe ourselves to cover our nakedness. That's the very basic function of the clothing that we wear. We put it on to cover our nakedness because we're embarrassed, are we not? We're ashamed of being naked. Sure, there's a small percentage of our community who would love to just be free and they're all living in Byron Bay and Nimbin right now. But um, for the rest of us, I don't know about you, has anyone had that nightmare where you stand up to present a seminar at uni and you look down and you're in your underwear? Any, any, just me. Oh, thank you. There's one other person who's had that dream. The rest of you are all liars. Or you turn up to work for a business meeting and you're around the board table and everyone looks at you and you're like, I'm in my underwear, right? We have these nightmares about being naked and exposed. And I, my guess is it's probably something deep inside of us that we fear 
about others seeing who we truly are. And that's probably true on a physical level about our bodies, but it's also true on a spiritual level about our imperfection, about our sin and shame and guilt. So at the very least, every single day when you get dressed, when you walk to your wardrobe and pick your outfit for the day and you clothe yourself, the ritual that you are participating in is a reminder that we are broken people, that we are ashamed, that we cover our nakedness. John Piper says that when that God ordained clothes as a witness to glory lost. God ordained clothes as a witness to glory lost. That we cover ourselves because we have lost the glory that we experienced prior to Genesis chapter 3. So clothing is a covering at the very least. But it's more than just a covering. Clothing has more than just a functional usefulness to it. And in the Scriptures, we see the creative aspect of clothing. We see the fashion part coming out. And it comes from that verse that James read from us, the instructions that Moses gave to his people about creating the temple. And along with those instructions came instructions and patterns, if you wish, about how to design the priest's clothes, and in particular, the high priest's garments. God appoints skillful workers, read in their fashion designers. He appoints skillful workers, and it says there that He fills them with His Spirit and gives them gifts and skills to be able to create these beautiful pieces of clothing. And their purpose is not function. Their purpose is, it has ceremony attached to it, but you see there, He says that their purpose is for beauty and for glory. This item of clothing is to be an item of beauty that people would look at and marvel at and wonder over as these skillful designers created. Have a look at what it says in, in Exodus 28 verse 2. It says, God speaking to Moses, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. That's, it's not just functional. It's to look beautiful. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I've filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they should make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, a sash. They're to make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple, scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Now we can read that and look at all of those items there and just take them all for granted. We take for granted the fact that there is fine twined linen because when we go to the shop and pay our money at the counter and take our cotton t-shirt home, we're completely unaware, as Emily's already reminded us of, of the cotton that was grown in India and then twined and woven together and then sent to Bangladesh and the seamstress who sewed for $2 a day to put that t-shirt together that we just picked off a shelf and bought and wore it. We can be totally oblivious to the fact that these garments were coloured. They were dyed garments. Now, that's, a, that's an astounding reality in the ancient Near East because they didn't just have a, a factory with a pot full of powdered dye that they could just pick a colour from. They had to use the natural elements and they had to use their God-given creativity to figure out how to dye garments. Most garments were the colour of the fabric that it was made with. If it's a, a light cotton, it was light. If it's a dark wool, it was dark. But these garments are special. They're dyed garments. We know from archaeology that in order to dye a garment 
blue or purple, I think it's purple, uh, these, these designers had to find a mollusk, a sea snail, crack its shell open, squeeze the ink that it injected out of the mollusk, let that ink dry in the sun for a period of time, then break it down into a liquid and then submerge the, the linen into that liquid and it would produce these vibrant colours of blue and purple. Now that's a creative process, is it not? That's a beautiful work of art as they use the God-given gifts that they've been given to create and fashion a piece of beauty. The high priest garments are a luxury, eloquent piece of fabric covered in gold, twine and precious jewels and stones. And yes, it's all symbolic. But what we need to get here is that fashion and design doesn't automatically equal bad and negative. I don't know if you heard that narrative growing up in church. That's the, certainly the narrative I heard as a kid, don't buy designer clothes, it's a waste of money, give your money away, that kind of thing. But here, at the very least, we can see the creative beauty, we can see the creative process and we can enjoy it and celebrate it. And I think we can celebrate the people in our church like Katie and Gina who work in the fashion industry and use their God-given gifts to create items. You know, every piece of clothing that you wear at some point was designed. Someone had to design that. Someone had to come up with the idea to create that and it was designed. And sure, designs have been copied now for a long time. But there are creative ways of expressing that. There's, there's even something really good about people having the freedom to express their creativity with the way they wear their clothes. Last night, I was trying to think of something creative and clearly you can see I nailed it with a black shirt, black jeans and sneakers. But I thought maybe, maybe I'll be creative with my fashion. I might wear my, uh, my Birkenstocks with socks and just you know play on the Christian stereotype thing there. Or perhaps I'll get one of my flannies and tie it around my waist and wear that. And my wife's like, it looks cool, but you also look like an idiot. So don't, don't wear that. I just can't pull that stuff off. But there is something creative about fashion that's good. And yet we also know that there are undercurrents that can be negative and unhelpful for us in our culture. But this garment is elaborate and very, very, very expensive. A, a dyed garment in the ancient Near East was worth its weight in gold. That's how elaborate that process was. And this is God who gives the instructions to Moses to fashion this designer item, this high-end luxury piece of clothing. Now, before you take that as an excuse to go on your designer spending spree this week and get all of the designer clothes you've been hoping for this summer, this is a one-off piece. This is a one-off item that has a special religious purpose to it. But how do we think about our clothing and our purchases. And perhaps you have grown up in a context where the narrative was uh, expensive clothing is bad. It's a waste of money. Buy cheap clothing and give the rest of it away. And we've already seen that cheap clothing is definitely not the answer. Is there anything particularly wrong with having a concern and a care for the way we look? The reality is what we wear communicates something. Whether you like that or not, what you wear communicates something. You might be on point and on fashion and that communicates something. You may be anti-fashion and contra-fashion and all of a sudden contra-fashion becomes fashionable and the thing that you were trying to do and not be fashionable became fashionable and all of a sudden you're on point, right? You can't tell the difference sometimes between hipster and homeless. They look very the same, right? 
what you wear communicates something about yourself, whether you like that or not, whether you've put thought into that or whether you've put no thought into that, whether you just bought the item because it was cheap and functional or whether you bought the item because you thought that was gonna make you look amazing. What we wear communicates something about ourselves. And that's not always automatically negative and sinful. Sometimes God has given us the creative freedom to express that. And I think at the very least, if we understand the truth of the Christian message, that we are not defined by the externals, that we're not defined by who we are on the outside, but that we're defined by what God says of us and who He makes us to be, His sons and daughters, then at the very least, that ought to free us to stop caring about what people think on the outside and express ourselves now, to be fair, there is also a very nasty, narky edge to individual expressionism that we see in our culture, at least for the very least, that's a very Western upper class thing. It's a privilege. Most people don't get the freedom to choose what they wanna wear and, and, and style their wardrobe with the choices that we have. Clothing is far more a necessity for many, if not most, in our world. And so we see clothing is a cover and it's functional, but it's also creative. It also has all of these creative elements to it. But a big part of what we need to think about when it comes to fashion, as Em has already reminded us of, is the justice aspect. As we read the Scriptures, you cannot get past almost a single book and chapter without stumbling over and falling over this idea of God's justice. It's one of His communicable attributes. And what that means is that there are things about God's character that we are unlike Him. God is all-knowing, we're not. God is everywhere, we're not. God is all-powerful, we're not. There are also things about God's character that are called communicable communicable attributes, that are things about God's character that we are to be like. Love, generosity, and justice is one of those things. God is a God of justice and He cares about the way that our clothes are made. This is what it says in in Deuteronomy 24. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. That is an outsider, not one of God's people. Irrespective of their race, don't oppress them. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. He has daily needs. People generally live day to day. The, The things that they work for put food on their plate and clothing on their backs. For he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. God cares about the wages that seamstresses are paid in the factories of Bangladesh. God cares about the pollution that is killing and causing birth defects in communities in third world countries. God cares because He's a God of justice. And sadly, our Western consumeristic fast fashion world has victims and those victims are often the most poor and needy who are trapped, sometimes even who are enslaved in order that we could have the freedom to pick and choose what we wanna wear. God cares. You know, this week, I don't know if you've watched the documentary on Netflix called The True Cost. And it's a pretty emotive and eye-opening documentary about um, just going back some of those steps to cotton and to the pesticides that are used in cotton and to following the story of a Bangladeshi woman and her family and what it, what it looks like for her to work in a factory sewing. It, it's quite a powerful documentary. And I realise it was made in 2015. I'm a bit behind the times. But 
But I watched that this week and, and it's powerful. I, I would recommend watching it. Now, irrespective of what you, your opinions are about the solutions to this complex and tricky issue, none of us as followers of Jesus and God's people are afforded the luxury of stepping back and saying, this is not about me. We all make everyday choices about our clothes and our purchasing habits and what we wear. You know, apparently I was reading a report um, this week by Bernardo's that said the average item of women's clothing is worn seven times before it's thrown out and discarded. We have a choice to make about how many times we choose to wear our clothes. My, my other fashion tip is I, I buy jeans and I just never wash them because washing them ruins them. So I just never wash them, just hang them out to dry a bit on the coat hanger in front of the fan at home. And that's, that's about it. Just never wash my jeans. So if you come near me and I stink, that's probably the reason why. But we are all faced with everyday choices about everyday mundane, ordinary things. And we're faced with a choice to, to obey God, to be people of justice, or to bury our heads in the sand and continue in our ignorance. So I encourage you to jump on the Facebook group and engage in the resources that Emily's gonna post up there. Educate ourselves and let's be God's people. But from the world out there to the world in here, fashion not only poses a problem on economic scales and in third world countries, it poses a problem in our hearts, does it not? It poses a problem of idolatry within us. You see, what we wear communicates, we know that that's true. And our fashion often shapes our identity and our status and, and sadly, often our sense of worth. Whether we feel like we're killing it, whether we feel like our fashion's on point, whether we feel like people are judging us because of what we wear or whether we feel concerns over our body image. What we wear is a, is a projection to a watching world. And that can stir deep, deep idolatry in our hearts as we begin to make our choices based on the opinions of other people. That's why I think what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 is so powerful. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I want to say this verse, even though it's directed at women, is as true of men as it is women. The, the guys are no less off the hook because of this. The implications of this verse is true for all of us. Be it braided hair and jewellery or be it that power suit that you wear or be it the, the muscle shirt that shows off your perfectly toned, tanked and sculpted pectoral muscles that you've been working on, although it's January, so you've got to get back in with news resolutions, that kind of stuff. Whatever it is, Peter's saying, don't let your adorning be external. Now, he's not saying, don't wear jewellery, don't do your hair and don't wear clothes. He is certainly not saying, don't wear clothes. Put Peter values clothes, right? But what he's saying here is, let your, be concerned more about your character than about your closet about your character more than your clothes. Nurture your inner faith, not just your out of fashion sense. Have the priority right. Why? Because God sees through the veneer of the exterior. God sees our hearts. It's very easy, isn't it, to cover 
ugly character with beautiful items. We can do that. Anyone can buy expensive clothes and cover ugly character. Much harder it is to nurture inner character, to nurture integrity. See, the reality is that fancy clothes will commend us to our culture. People will look at us and think, mm, that person, they must be important. They must be wealthy. They are, I look up to that person. They're a fashion influencer. I want to be like that person. Nice clothes will commend you to your culture, but a beautiful character will commend you to the God of the universe. He sees the inner. God loves it when his people choose to clothe themselves with godliness, with character, with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. He looks at the heart. And we live in a world which is, its highest ideology and value is individual expression. And the most obvious manifestation of that is our outward projection of ourselves in the clothing that we wear. What is it saying about us? So my question for you this morning is, is your shopping and your fashion and your grooming and your makeup routine and all of the exterior, does that find a healthy second place in your life? Not that it's not important, not that it's innately sinful, but does it have the right priority in your life? that you are cultivating the inner first before you're focusing on the outward exterior. Our, our, what we wear communicates. And what we really, honestly, deeply need is not more exterior possibilities and solutions and trends. What we deeply need is an inner clothing, an inner covering, a spiritual garment. You see, the crucifixion, our Lord Jesus Christ was robed mockingly in a purple robe, the colour of royalty, an expensive garment. They put it on him and they fake worshipped him as a king. They mocked him and then they took that garment off and they stripped his tunic off and they hung him naked on a cross, exposed for every passerby to see the shame of being crucified by the Romans. And then they gambled they cast lots for his one piece tunic that was woven as one piece, which is a clear allusion back to the high priest garments that Moses instructed, that God instructed Moses to tell the skilled workers to fashion. And so there on the cross, he died naked, ashamed to cover our nakedness to cover our shame. There the great high priest becomes the sacrifice. And there, he takes upon himself the curse of our sin, of our rejection, of our nakedness and our guilt and our shame. In Revelation 22, 4, the author says this, blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, how, how do they wash their robes? We know according to Revelation 7, 14, that they wash it by dipping it in the blood of the lamb. Now, that metaphor doesn't work for us, does it? That makes it dirty. The, sim the symbolism there is that blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the lamb because they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. In Genesis, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and away from the tree of life. And Jesus 
covers us so that we now have access back in to the presence of God, back into the garden, back in to the tree of life. God covered Adam and Eve's shame and their guilt and their nakedness by fashioning a tunic for them that required a blood sacrifice, an animal's blood to be shed and spilled. And here it is Jesus whose blood is shed and spilled and He covers us with a garment and the garment is His righteousness, His perfect obedience to the Father that He gifts us and says, let me cover you. Jesus removes our sin-stained, filthy garments and He covers us with clean clothes and fine garments. He robes us in His righteousness. The good news of the gospel is the picture of the father in Luke 15 who runs out to meet his prodigal son and how does he respond when he meets him? He clothes him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet and he puts a robe on him and he welcomes him home. That is the picture we get. For those of you who have faith in Jesus, he covers your nakedness with his righteousness. What a beautiful picture that is. And we now live by faith in the power of the Spirit. And we have this metaphor of Paul about putting off and putting on. We put off the old self. We throw off the patterns, the thinking, the ways, the habits of our old self that is leading to death. And we begin to clothe ourselves with the way of Jesus. Or Paul later in Ephesians 6 will talk about the armour of God that we're to put on. All of those elements equal the gospel. I don't know if you've realised that. As you re- it's not disconnected. All of the elements of the, the armour of God is the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Clothe yourself with the gospel. It's a picture of who we are. This week I was reflecting on the words of an old hymn and it's such a beautiful hymn that I actually wanna read the whole thing for you now and just take time to let the words of this hymn just wash over us as they capture this language with such beauty. The words will be on the screen. It says this, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, mid flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day and none condemn me, try who may, fully absolved through Christ I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. This stainless robe its beauty wears when all else fades with passing years, no age can change its glorious hue. The robe of Christ is ever new. When from the dust of death I rise to claim my home beyond the skies, then this shall be my only plea that Jesus died and lives for me. Oh, let the dead now hear your voice. Let those once lost in sin rejoice. Their beauty this, their glorious dress. Jesus, your blood and righteousness. Friends, if you have faith in Jesus this morning, that truth is your reality. 
That is the truest thing about you. Nothing about what you wear this morning, nothing about your externals is truer than the reality that you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That you are clean, that you are pure, that your filthy stained clothes have been replaced. My guess is there are many in this room this morning who only have a covering of guilt and shame still. And you've tried every earthly method you can possibly think of to fix the exterior, but there is a gaping hole inside of you that remains. Jesus wants to come and to cover your shame, to cover your guilt, to robe you in His righteousness and make you new. Every single person this morning has an opportunity in the everyday stuff of life to worship Jesus. And it starts with clothing ourselves with our spiritual clothing, our spiritual robe. And it affects everything we do on the outside. So let us be a people who would live in that reality. Let us be a people who would pursue the heart of God to pursue justice for this world. Let us worship Jesus with every step of every day in all of the ordinary decisions that we make. We pray that God would help us to do that as His people. Father God, we thank You. We thank You that You care. We thank You that You're intimately involved in our world. God, we are faced with a myriad of decisions every single day. Help us to live in the true story of the good news of Jesus. Help us to be Your people shaped by that reality and not shaped by the narrative of our secular world. God, forgive us when we do the sacred secular thing. Help us to view all of our world through the lens of the good news of Jesus. Spirit, we need you. We pray that you would shape us and change us, make us more like Jesus. Help us to think your thoughts after you, God. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. We pray it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said,